0: Welcome to the podcast of Amaga Day Community, where we are convicted to help bring the whole gospel to the whole person, to the whole world. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures, seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. Turn with me to Luke chapter 15. We are uh, wrapping up this series on... The rhythms of grace. And uh, kind of the whole point of this series is something that we're going to take a year long stab at, which is essentially saying what does it mean to practice our faith? What are the rhythms of grace that we would live into in order to keep ourselves turned to the story and in the story? Of, and, and experiencing all the grace that God has already given us. So it's not like here's a ladder in which we achieve perfection. But there are ways that within our cultural moment, these are these practices that we can bring into our weekly, monthly, daily rhythms in order to keep ourselves in the story. And... Um, Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son, is a parable that we're basically anchoring these uh, practices in. Not necessarily because the parable teaches them directly, but the parable does give us a picture into the heart of God and into our own hearts and what it means to experience salvation that is a helpful place to sort of anchor these practices in. And so if you have your Bible, uh, read along with me in Luke chapter 15. These, uh, uh, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. And he set off for a distant country. And there squandered his wealth and wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. And so he went, and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him out to the fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I'll set out and I'll go back to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have Sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the elder son was in the field and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what? what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The elder brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and he pleaded with him, but he said, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends, but when this son of yours has squandered the property and uh, with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So today we want to look at the practice of Celebration. And celebration really has two components to it, uh, holy rest and holy worship. And what does it look like to enter into these practices together as we understand what it means to be the people of God in our time and space? Uh, So I want to start with holy rest, or what the scriptures would call Sabbath. And the truth is, that from the creation account onward, when God spoke creation into being, he, he marked the seventh day as holy and he rested on the seventh day. It was, it was part of the rhythm of work and the rhythm of time. When God created the world, he created time, right? And so we have hours and days and weeks and months and years and seasons and the way the whole thing works together are in these rhythms of time. In certain ways, days reflect the whole of the story in that you wake up to a new day and you go to sleep and the day is over and light and darkness and life and death and it's all kind of happening. But, but there is this rhythm of why we're here and what we're supposed to be about. And part of that means... That we are given this gift where we stop working, where we stop producing, and we rest. In, in, In reality, this party that is thrown is a time of celebration. It's a time of rest. It's a time for the prodigal son to come home and to rest in the grace that he's experienced. It's time for the elder brother to put down his tools and to come back in the house and rest in grace. Neither of them can really do that. Uh, The prodigal son is out there fighting for his life. Work is a curse. He had enough money and it was great, then he lost it. Now he's coming home for a job. There's no sense in his mind, no matter how bad things have gotten that he was coming home to a party, to a meal, to a celebration. Um, It's difficult for the prodigal to rest. The elder son can't really rest either because everything about work for him has to do with his identity and production and the fact that he's way better than that son of yours, that younger son, and his identity is tied up in work and being paid. But the party is a party where we're not gonna work. We're gonna rest. We're gonna receive grace and belonging and sonship. Rest from the time you've spent, whether it's running after sin, and wrecking your life, or running after the idol of work so that you can have an identity. And there's this holy time, this sacred moment. If you and I were at that party, that we would say something, this is a special moment. There is something about this time that is, that is holy. Because something about both their stories is being redeemed, restructured, reoriented around that table, and around that party. It's this sacred moment of celebration, and the one who's celebrating is the Father over us. It's, Sabbath is this time where we're given a day a week, and we're called to stop, uh, to stop, to disconnect. Don't check your email, don't turn on your cell phone. Like it's almost impossible for us to get our minds around those things. And yet we're supposed to stop and remember that the, ce- the Father celebrates the fact that you belong to him. And he celebrates your belonging more than he celebrates your doing. The things you've done that are displeasing and the things you've done that do please him. But at the end of the day, it wasn't about doing to begin with. It was about belonging. And so he gives us this day that we're going to carve out for ourselves. And we're going to remember that we belong to him. We're going to celebrate the fact that he's celebrating over us. We're going to rest and remember that the world's going to go on whether I check my email or not, which is fascinating. (laughs) And we always have that sort of like, well, I know, but if I get a bad email, I wanna get on top of it, but there are thousands of emails you, you get that are just junk, and you still have to like, I gotta wade through it because it might be an emergency. If it was an emergency, they might use your phone number, but we don't really call each other anymore So the emergency level goes like email, text, phone call. Um, Just so you know how that works. (laughs) Unless you're 16 and then you text everything even when it's an emergency, which I get all the time. Like, where are you? I'm dropped off in the middle of nowhere. When are you coming to get me? Like, why didn't you call? I don't know. I'm being chased with a guy with a knife. (laughs) Can you call 911 for me? (laughs) It's like they should actually have a class in high school called Cell Phone 101. How to make a phone call. How to say goodbye at the end of the phone call. Watching a high school kid talk on the phone, is the most awkward thing in the world. They're like, hello? Like, why are you calling me? (laughs) Okay, click, hang up. Like, did you say goodbye? Uh, no, I, bye. (laughs) It's classic. But try taking them away and saying, hey, we're not gonna look at those today, we're just gonna hang out together. it will be like the weirdest moment of their life. And they'll be like lying to you and breaking into that little cupboard and stealing their phone back because it's so hard for us to be connected, to belong, to just just see face to face. We're gonna be here at this table. The truth is that there's people at that table that you don't wanna be with. The elder son was not stoked to hang out at his brother's party, right? But the father is stoked because these are his sons that belong to him. So he gives us this gift of Sabbath so that every week you and I would do just that. We'd stop and we'd turn and we'd remember and we belong. Who do we belong to? How do we belong to each other? And it's okay for you to stop working, to not be busy, to take a nap and play and do things that seemingly don't matter because you need time to remember about belonging and relationship and what it means to be a son and daughter of the father, not a servant or a slave. Now, when it comes to our spirituality, that seems really unfamiliar, but think about it if you were dating someone and every time they called you, they were like, hey, uh, your girlfriend calls you. Why don't you come over? That's great. Or we, We'll just hang out. Well, yeah, we'll hang out. We're going to clean the closets, and then we're going to do laundry, and then we're going to wash the whatever else. And you're like, oh, okay. And then the 18th time, you, every time you hang out, you have to be doing something. It would not necessarily, you wouldn't be like, I'm in love with you. You'd be like, I like you. I like cleaning stuff with you. I don't know. I don't know you very well. Uh, you have trouble sitting still and just doing, but because we're always like, we always have an agenda, and yet that's how we deal with rest. It's like we can't just belong. We can't just connect. We have to do and do and do. When it comes to God, it feels like there has to be some big agenda. I'm going to read. I'm going to journal. I'm going to come to an epiphany. I'm going to solve all the world's problems. And he's just, he just wants you to be there. And, and there are so many voices calling out to us to be busy and to produce and to do these things that if we don't practice this rhythm, there's a good chance that the core issues of what it means to belong to God will disappear. And you'll get on a treadmill and you'll begin to work for your salvation or you'll go back out the front door and try to find belonging somewhere else. We live in a culture that idolizes overwork and overproduction. You know when you're, you talk to these people, and we all are these people in some ways, but every time you talk to them, you just get the laundry list of how busy they are, how hard life is, and all the things that they do. It's like, oh my gosh, we did this, and then we have... Well, basketball's starting and da, da 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 da, and they go on and on, and that impulse, at least in me, is is to one up them. Like I wanna, I don't, I wanna like not compete, but I want them to know, hey, I'm busy too, and I'm a good person. Um, but but what would happen if you just said, really, that's that's horrible. <laughs> I I just have been resting. And I woke up from a nap. Uh, The whole family took a nap. It was weird. And uh, then we watched like Rocky 1 to 19 or whatever. That's all we did. We had a great meal. Sorry about your busyness though. Like you wouldn't ever want to say that. You'd feel so insecure. Like you'd hang up and go, they just think I'm a loser. Right? But there is something that is attractive in our culture to people who have figured this rhythm out. Because no matter who you are, whether work's a curse or an idol, there is still a sense that it is not giving life the way life should be given. There's still a sense that belonging, as unfamiliar or scary as it is, is attractive. And so Sabbath is this way that we're invited to enter into holy time. To stop working and to sit at the Father's table of grace and rest and remember and rejoice. Because rest is the time where God says to us, when you stop working, I want you to realize you're not a machine. You're not here just to make things. You're sons and your daughters and we're stewarding creation together. I want you to remember that you belong to me and all that is mine you get to enjoy as a gift of life in these rhythms of time. That you could work toward Sabbath and look forward to it because it is this gift of grace. And ultimately underneath all that is you're supposed to find some joy. That you're not alone. That others are with you. That we're called together to celebrate this holy time. So play, take a nap, eat, love each other. God's gonna keep the world going while you are in at the party. And if you can practice that, like like really practice it weekly, we're gonna carve out this space, this time, as a family, as friends, as a community, you will find yourself in the heart of the gospel by this simple and sort of profound practice of holy rest. And, And all of these really do fit together because if you get Sabbath right, Right? You're probably gonna get vocation right because you're gonna learn what work is and what it's for and where it's properly kept. But if you get Sabbath wrong, you're probably gonna get vocation wrong because you, you realize, well, I can't ever rest because I always have to work. And if you get work wrong, you're probably gonna get generosity wrong because all that you earn is yours and it's for you, which means you're gonna get hospitality wrong because you don't have time to have other people over at your table, which means at the core of it, you got hear and obey Jesus wrong. But all of these fit together, these practices, these rhythms put us into this place where we're turned towards like the heartbeat of what Jesus wants to do in us and for us. So holy rest, practicing sacred time. It's this huge piece of celebration. God is the one that's at work, not us. That's the center from which rest comes. All right, number two is the rhythm of worship. So holy rest and holy worship. What's fascinating about Luke 15 is that God is the first one to celebrate when we talk about celebration. Some of us picture worship as something that we do to get God to show up. Uh, The truth is, in Luke 15, God is the one that celebrates. So there's three parables. There's a parable of the lost sheep where one sheep out of 99 gets lost and the shepherd leaves the 99 and goes to find the one. There's the parable of the lost coin where a woman has 10 coins and she loses one and she sweeps the house clean to find that coin and then there's the parable of the lost sons. So it goes from one out of 99, one out of 1 out of one and in each time there is this passionate, relentless seeking after. And with each story you find this language that says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. Quick, bring the fatted calf, we must celebrate. All of that is the voice of God saying, I rejoice when I find that which is lost. He's the first one to celebrate. And so in the parable of the lost sheep, he says, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous who don't need to repent. In the next parable, the lost coin, he says, in the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, who is in the presence of the angels? God is. What he's saying is that God is rejoicing in front of the angels over that one that comes home, that one who is found. God is the first one to celebrate. We're not trying to wake him up from a sleep with our songs. He's the one that celebrates. He's the one that throws the party. And so he celebrates when both prodigals come home as well as elder sons. When they're both at home, he's saying come into the party. Don't stay away. And, and, And prodigals and elder sons... They kind of have different ways of staying away. The prodigal stays away from the celebration of God by this sort of self-centered, sinful indulgence. And then coming to his senses, there's this sense of shame. So he's like, I'll come back and I'll just be a worker. And he rehearses this speech in his head. I'll just tell dad this, and I'm not worthy to be called your son, and da, da. Before he can get the words out, he's already embraced and he's kissed. But there's this sense of the prodigal that says, I can't celebrate because I'm carrying the burden of my sin. The elder brother can't celebrate because he's carrying the burden of his self righteousness. He's cynical, He's, he's at the party, he's rolling his eyes. Everything, he's like, a, a really, a fatted calf for this? Okay, okay, belly dancers come out or whatever. He's like, really? That, I'm not saying I don't know. Um, <laughs> but it's just too much, it's too extreme. He's, he's got opinions, and they're valid, and he's got points, and uh, so his whole posture is criticizing. And neither one of them can really celebrate. I mean, imagine the younger son sitting there with a ring and a robe and sandals, just going, man, I don't deserve to be here. This is horrible. And they're like announcing the third ban, and the whole party's going crazy. He's like, I just can't even look up, I shouldn't be here, if you knew what I did. And the father is like, you're being an idiot. I know, you're home, I love you, you belong. Party. Because this room is probably more filled with elder brothers and prodigal sons than people who really get celebration. There are many among us today in this place that go, I I don't know if I can go to that table for communion. I don't know that I can truly enter in. I don't know that I belong here because if you knew what I've done, if you knew this week, last year, whatever it was, like. They would run me out of here. Everybody's got the same bubble over their head. Um, And there's this sense that you think, I can't enter in. I can't celebrate. The reason you think that is because you haven't understood that you have been celebrated over already. Like before you give God your speech of why you're so sorry. He's already embraced you and kissed you and called for the ring and the robe and the sandals. So come to the party, right? Come to the table. Sing those songs of praise. Receive and celebrate because you're just responding to the God who's already celebrated over you. Now the elder brother non celebration looks a little different. It looks more like you you have a handle on what's wrong with everything and everyone. So it's sort of like I I really wish those people wouldn't raise their hands. It's kind of annoying actually and I think they're overly emotional. I wish that the sermon went like this. I wish the person up there singing would do this. And um, and you have a critical take on everything that's happening. And, and, and I'm not saying this because I'm afraid of your criticism. I'm whatever, bring it. Um, <laughs> but the point is that you can't really celebrate because you're worried about it. Are we right, are we wrong? Is that too emotional? I don't really get why this person gets to do this. Why are there belly dancers, right? The whole, <laughs> and you never get into the celebration. And everything in your mind is justified why you can't go to the party. Because you need to be doctrinally sound or you don't want to be overly emotional or under emotional or whatever that thing is. And it kind of bugs you that that the prodigal just kind of gets to come to this table. What is happening underneath that, though, is the same thing that the prodigal is struggling with, which is an identity that isn't secure in your own belonging to God. You can't celebrate the fact that anyone else belongs to God because you've never celebrated the fact that you belong to God you still think you're earning it. And so for both prodigals and elder brothers, we're all called to celebrate the fact that God the Father is celebrated over you. The other thing that I find shocking about these stories is it only takes one for God to throw the party, right? The 99, he goes, okay, I'm gonna leave them all, I'm gonna go find the one. The one coin, the the one son, he throws the party and he gives himself totally to the joy of the one who has come home. And I try to picture that and say, okay, what if this year one person, only one person came to Christ through Imago? Uh, We would probably go, ah, I don't know. I don't know that went very well, right? uh, We could see a scenario where if you said, you know, 1,000 people came to faith in Portland this year, now we should throw the party. Um, But there would be some kind of matrix that said, you know, let's not get carried away over the one dude. Um, But God throws the party over the one. And I think I would be saying to myself, should we give it a little more time? We don't know if it's going to stick. You know, what if we wake up tomorrow and he's gone and we ate the cow and everything? It's, it's gonna suck. So let's just, let's just calm down here. Uh, uh, we, we can listen to progress and be like, oh, that's really good. But the whole time we're wondering like, uh-huh, I've heard that before. Um, but God has no problem with this extravagant, almost kind of vulnerable, like you could take advantage of it He has no problem throwing the party for the one. And the one is you, it's you. And until you really get that, like he threw the party for me, you're never gonna be able to celebrate in a a way that is authentically proper and responsive. God gives himself totally to the joy of the one who came home, and the one is you. And if you get that, you're going to be so happy when another one comes home, and another one comes home, because you realize that my worship, it's just a response to the God who is already celebrating over me that I'm home. We practice this weekly rhythm of corporate worship, which is not the sexiest term in the world. And, um, and church is not really a cool thing to be a part of. And, and I'm not saying what form it should take, but the truth is that the people of God have always needed to gather together to anchor ourselves in the worship that reminds us of the story. Um, people are always saying, well, the church, the church is going to be gone. The church is one generation away from existence. I'm like, I think that's BS. Um, it's usually a manipulation to buy somebody's book, right? But the truth is, if the church was around because it was doing it right, it would have been gone at about Acts chapter 6. Okay, it would have just been like your Bible would have ended and you'd be like, hey, wonder what, how that, Um, but somehow this broken group of imperfect people that can't seem to get anything right have been around for 2,000 years and people have been going from death to life and being healed and comforted and yeah, they've hurt each other and others in the process, I mean, and there's no like gold star that we get to wear but but what we need to do every week is we need to come back and hear the word. Whether it's preached good or bad, we need to hear that alternative voice of God that speaks to us and to our souls in a way that no one else in our culture is. And there are so many voices. We need every week to come to this Eucharist table to satisfy that desperate hunger we have for grace. We need to show up every week so that we could pray, we could surrender our sins and our songs and our circumstances to the compassionate, listening Father. We need to to be reminded that when people go into this prodigal bath called baptism, that they now belong to us. Like we need church, which nobody really wants to admit, but it is a sustaining place for us that keeps us in the story. And so you are invited every week, to celebrate by responding to the one who has celebrated over you. To celebrate as those who belong to the Father. Because the truth is, the Father wants to find you more than you want to find him. Henry Nowen said it this way in his book, Return of the Prodigal Son. If you haven't read it, you need to. It's, it's one of my top ten books books of all time. But he said this, he said, wouldn't it be good to increase God's joy by letting him find me and bring me home to celebrate with the angels? Wouldn't it be wonderful to make him smile by letting him find me and lavish me with love? But these questions raise the issue of how I see myself. Can I accept that I am worth looking for? Do I believe there is a real desire in God to simply be with me? Weekly worship and holy rest are these sacred times where we carve out space to remember that we belong, to remember who we belong to, and to rejoice that that's true. That's real. So as you come to this table, this is a table of a God in pursuit of you, looking for you. A God who throws this feast of bread and wine, of broken body and shared blood for your sins and mine so that the doors of the Father's house could be wide open. So come and celebrate today as brothers and sisters, prodigals and elder brothers, all of us celebrated over by the Father who we belong to. Let's pray. Father, this morning My prayer is today, God, that if we walk out of here with one thing, it would be that uh, that you are looking for us. And that when you have found us, you celebrate over us. And would you give us the grace, God, to practice this rhythm of celebration to rest and to worship because you first celebrate over us. God, I pray this morning that prodigals would experience uh, the freedom of being named sons and daughters, uh, being given rings and robes and parties And their shame wouldn't keep them away from just an utter rejoicing in how good you are. And I pray for elder brothers who can't enter in because at the core they don't know that they really belong to you. Would they experience a radical acceptance of your spirit today in and through Jesus Christ? And would you give us, God, the boldness to never want to leave that place of celebration, to order our time, our week, our days around holy rest and holy worship. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you're interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at www.amargodaycommunity.com Thanks a lot for listening.